Welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. You are listening to episode 79, A Conversation on Cold Capping with Dr. Heather Schultz. Dr. Schultz was diagnosed with breast cancer and required chemotherapy with Taxotere and Cytoxin. As this regimen does cause hair loss, she had decided to proceed with cold capping to decrease her risk of hair loss during treatment. On today's episode, she really breaks down what cold capping is actually like. She talks about the decision that she made to proceed with cold capping and the nuances, the logistics, all of it, starting from where to get dry ice, how long it actually takes, how to care for your hair during that time, exercising while doing cold capping, and so much more. This episode is a really great resource for those who are considering cold capping. Obviously, we know that it is a cold cap that you wear on your head, but there is so much more to that that goes into it. And empowering yourself with this information, I think will help people make a educated decision about whether this is something that they do want to pursue. As a reminder, cold capping has very, very different results in different people. So this is Dr. Schultz experience, and it doesn't mean that everyone will have the exact same results or experience that she did. And with that, let's get right to it. It is my honor to welcome Dr. Schultz to the Interlude podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski, and I am a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of breast and gynecologic cancers. I started the Interlude podcast as a way to share the journeys and experiences of women who are going through cancer. On this podcast, we talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey, the treatment, and life after cancer. As a reminder, the information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as medical advice. Any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. Dr. Schultz, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. You can call me Heather. It's nice to be here. Uh, so we wanted, you know, I wanted to have you come on the podcast to share a little bit about your story and to really delve into cold capping, all the details about it. Um, but before we start doing that, can you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do, and your diagnosis? Absolutely. So I am a, a psychiatrist and a mom of three. And a week after I turned 41, I actually noticed that I had a little bit of nipple discharge and I hadn't breastfed in, um, gosh, it was about four years. And so I definitely knew that something wasn't right. And I was a little bit overdue for my first mammogram, which got delayed due to COVID. So at that point, um, I reached out to a few friends who are in um, uh, breast surgery and chatted with them and got the recommendation that it was definitely time to get a mammogram and an ultrasound given that I had symptoms. Um, So four days later, uh, I went went in and I had my imaging and um, was recommended to get a biopsy, but based on the imaging, it was pretty obvious that I had a breast cancer diagnosis. So that was definitely a big surprise just because I considered myself in really good health. I'm very into Um, being a vegetarian, eating a plant-based diet. I love exercise. Like that's really my hobby. And so the breast cancer thing was just not on my radar. It was a big surprise, which I think it is for most people. 
Um, but you know, it just came really out um, out of nowhere. So at that point, um, you know, I sort of joked with some of my friends, given that I'm in medicine, but definitely not in this field, that it felt like I was starting a Google fellowship. Like I just had so many questions. And actually, you and I had followed each other on Instagram um, because I have a cooking page there, and and I really enjoyed reading. Um, both about your diet and exercise tips and also your medical um, uh, insights. And so I remember in those early stages, um, really learning a lot from your, your, your page and what you do. So thank you for that. It was really, really helpful to me. But that's my background. That's kind of how I got to this point. It was, you know, an unpleasant surprise, but a lot has happened this year and I'm in a good place right now. That's, that's great. And I, I think this is an important time to point out the fact that you can do everything right. You can eat healthy, you can exercise and still be diagnosed. But we know that in those situations, you do tolerate treatment better and you have a lower risk of recurrence in the future. Absolutely. Um, sometimes people kind of, you know, it can be, it can be really, I mean, a diagnosis is so hard, but to have felt like you were doing all the risk reduction things now, was there a family history of breast cancer? No, not at all. No, it was, it was one of those things too, where um, because of my age, I was, I just turned 41. I went to speak with a genetic counselor and I talked to my parents and I wrote out, you know, our family tree. And it was one of those family trees where people live to be 93, you know, people in my family generally don't have um, cancer. And so that was also, I think why it was surprising. Uh, but I also, on the flip side, will have to say that I'm very glad that when I had that first symptom that I didn't delay, that I didn't try to chalk it up to, okay, well, you know, maybe something is happening with my body. I, I immediately um, reached out to my supports and asked them for, you know, help with what they thought I should do and immediately reached out to um, the cancer center at the hospital where I work and got my appointment. I actually had a mammogram scheduled for that month, but I, month sorry, but I got it moved up. And so I, you know, as surprising as it was, um, I'm glad that I didn't try to delay it. Um, and as a psychiatrist, I know that with anxiety, it's very tempting. And I tend to get anxious about those health things. It's very tempting to put things off that are anxiety provoking. Um, but looking back, I will say that that is something that I'm relieved that I did, that I asked for help right away. That is so important. And again, a lot of it's, it's tempting to ignore the scary thing in front of you. But I like, I like the point that you're making is that, you know, you're not saying, okay, you have to call and do these things. You reached out for help. And I think that's such an important point for anyone listening is maybe you are not in the mental state to do it yourself. But if you ask for help, someone can be there with you to get you through that really tough yes. time. And what did the treatment then look like for you? So um, I had a biopsy and, you know, it's funny because I, at that point I knew even based on my radiology results that uh, it was likely that I had breast cancer. And I remember I was still seeing patients. And so, you know, I asked them before the biopsy, can I still go to work? And they said, yes, but you need to have an ice pack ready. And so I remember just putting this ice pack in my bra and going back to seeing patients and just trying to, you know, um, muscle through the day. And um I got those results. And what that indicated was that I definitely did have breast cancer. Um, again, I reached out to some friends. I, um, I actually reached out and made an appointment with a therapist immediately because I thought to myself that as um, emotionally strong as I am in a lot of ways, this was such new territory. And I felt like I really needed to reach out and ask for help. Um, in addition to from friends, but 
you know, also to be in therapy because this was such a shocking experience. So um, once I did that, I waited for the biopsy results, found out that I did have breast cancer, met with a breast surgeon and a plastic surgeon who uh, recommended mastectomy, met with a genetic counselor. We went through all of the risks and benefits of unilateral versus a bilateral mastectomy. I opted to do a bilateral uh, surgery. And then I met with a plastic surgeon and talked about reconstruction. So that all um, happened. My diagnosis was in March of this year. My surgery was in May. And uh, then the pathology was sent uh, after my surgery to uh, Oncotype. And that's when I found out I needed to do chemotherapy. Were you expecting that? Not at all. No, actually the pathology was very positive. I had negative margins. Um, I had mostly DCIS and, and the tumor that they found uh, was early stage one. And so, you know, between the uh, negative family history and such good um, surgical results, I really did not expect to do chemotherapy, but I also knew that given that this felt like it came out of the blue and given my age, that if it was recommended that I do chemotherapy, I actually, as hard as I knew that news would be, I understood that it would be very important because the risk of recurrence is something that I learned is uh, definitely not something that people see coming. And I wanted to do every single thing that was recommended to me to reduce that risk in the future. And so I, uh, I met with my oncologist for the first time on a Monday and she said, you know, I do think that based on the results that we should proceed with chemotherapy this week. And that was a big surprise just because it happened so fast. You know, my surgery was um, not for a few months after my diagnosis, simply because it takes a lot to get into the OR and to have the breast surgeon and the plastic surgeon uh, coordinate their schedules. And so I was used to actually the delays and the waiting um, just to get in for surgery, which, you know, it wasn't that long. It just felt like a long time because it was a new diagnosis. Um, but then, you know, to think, oh, wow, I'm starting chemotherapy in a few days was a surprise. And um, that's when I started to look into the cold capping because I really wanted to see what I could do to um, feel like myself at that point. What chemo did you get? So I got four cycles of TC chemo over 12 weeks. It's a combination of Texatir and cyclophosphamide. And again, I really don't know much about chemotherapy, um, given that this is so outside of my medical knowledge. But what I did know was that hair loss uh, was something that my friends who had gone through chemotherapy had experienced. And actually many of them had said that it was very hard on them emotionally in ways that they did not expect. And so given that I only had a few days to plan and prepare, I remembered that one of my friends who I knew through social media, who I hadn't seen in a few years, um, was pretty open about her cancer diagnosis and her journey through treatment, and that, that she still had her hair. And I had reached out to her um, just out of curiosity and said, you know, how are you? I really appreciate how open you've been with sharing this. Uh, I'm also going through this and your hair looks amazing. Was this something about your chemotherapy? Like, how did this work? And she explained cold capping to me. I had never heard of it and, um, you know, was a little bit unsure about if I had time to set it up just because I only had a few days. And yet the cool thing was that uh, I called Penguin, I, there are a number of different companies that do uh, cold capping, but I called the company that day and they were so supportive. They had a lot of information 
And they also were able to explain to me how quickly they could get the supplies that I would need to do this if I wanted to, uh, and that timeline. So they said, you know, if you decide today that you would like to cold cap by, you know, one this afternoon and you place an order with us, we can get you the supplies in two days. And I thought, you know, as as stressful as, as this is and as many decisions as I have to make now, uh, this is reassuring that this is still possible. Just because I need to start, start chemotherapy this week doesn't mean that I can't also cold cap because there are some institutions and hospitals that have uh, cold capping that's a part of the uh, oncology uh, unit or the infusion center and mine did not have that. And so I knew that I was um, going to have to do some thinking and and uh, reading and reaching out to find out if that was something that I wanted to do on my own. So let's back up a little bit. You're meeting with the oncologist. Obviously, they mentioned to you that hair loss is a yeah. side effect. Was cold capping brought up? By the oncologist? No. no. And so when you're now reaching out to the friend, did you call, you know, because I think that happens a lot. You know, when I talk to patients, I always kind of make them, I try to make them aware that look, cold capping is an option because you want people to at least have heard it. Um, but yeah. for people who haven't heard it, you know, did you feel okay calling the oncologist and did you ask them if you can do this or kind of like how, before you made it to Penguin, what were those steps? So I think that that day is such a blur because I was sort of shocked and I'm pretty sure that I had heard of cold capping from this friend and I did ask the oncologist something like, you know, how would you feel about me cold capping? Is that an option? And she said, definitely. And if you want to, um, we don't have the supplies here in the hospital, but you can reach out to the nurses in infusion and let them know so that they can help you to set that up. And so that was something that I was glad that she guided me on because I think that there needs to be um, in the, in the days of COVID approval for extra hands and Mm -hmm. visitors Mm -hmm. and approval to have um, a little bit of extra space because with cold capping comes supplies. And insurance, I, I know this may be changing, but I believe that insurances don't cover cold. They don't. And that was frustrating. Actually, it depends on the insurance, but for the most part, they don't. I called my company and the cold capping folks uh, helped me to figure out what the code was to ask about. And um, when I chatted with insurance, I think that it's seen as, you know, some kind of medical supply. And so I just decided with my husband really that day um, there were a couple of questions I had. One was, can we afford this? One was, how do you feel about being hands-on for nine hours? Because it takes a long time and coming with me to infusion. Um, and how do you feel about having all these supplies that we have to prepare, you know, every time I have a treatment? And he said, you know, whatever you need is fine. I would just tell me what you would like me to do. And I'm happy to support you, which was a great answer. And, um, you know, the cost was something that I wasn't quite sure how it would add up, but I knew that for Penguin, it's uh, $450 a month. And so I thought to myself, um, maybe I'll look at the cost of wigs and compare. I know that sounds a little bit silly, but wigs are also expensive, can be expensive. And, um, And then I thought too about things that you know, I have invested in that have made sense after the fact, but maybe felt like a lot up front. So for example, when I bought a Peloton bike, I thought this is so much money. Just what am thinking, I, doing? I was just thinking, I was like the Peloton. Right. What am I doing spending this amount of money? And will I like it, you know, having never been someone mm-hmm. who did a spinning class. And then it became one of my healthiest addictions. I just love it so much. 
And so I thought to myself, you know, this year I've lost my breasts. I have lost my freedom from being a patient. You know, I've lost my um, sense of who I thought I was in so many ways. And that's what I was working on in therapy. You know, who am I now going from someone who I thought was healthy and going to live to be 93, like everyone else in my family, to being someone with this illness that felt scary. And so to me, cold capping wasn't just about hair. It was about trying to keep something and not to lose so many things. I also knew that cold capping can have different results for different people. So I went into it thinking that if it didn't work, it was something worth trying and that I could lose my hair. I could keep my hair and there was no way to know for sure. So I just decided to give it a shot and to to make that investment financially in myself um, and then to, you know, worry about the the money later. You know, I just thought this is something that I really need to um, do. I do realize too, after doing a bit of reading that there are, and I don't say research because I always think research is overused, but a little bit of reading online that there are ways that people can get scholarships and funding uh, for cold capping. And I think that's amazing. So there are a number of programs that offer that to patients as well if they you know if they request and so when you call them right so walk us through the supplies what what was delivered to your house um like so much stuff the process right so you you agree okay you're gonna do it you pay them like what happened next yeah so I talked to them on the phone they say we'll send you a bunch of instructions by email tell us what kind of treatment you're getting how many cycles Uh, don't cut your hair, which I actually, my instinct was, oh, I should get a shorter haircut. So I have less hair to deal with, but apparently to um, not stress out the hair follicles, it's best to just leave your hair alone. And so I did that. And then um, what they sent to my house was a 50 gallon uh, wheeling freezer that I could carry around um, a cooler and they told me that I needed to find dry ice and fill it with dry ice, which I then had to think about where to get that. Uh, I had no idea. Where, where do me, you get dry ice? Because I don't. I got it at my local ice cream shop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I looked around, I Googled it. And, um, you know, there are places that sell like propane tanks. Sometimes they have dry ice. Sometimes grocery stores have dry ice. For us, our, our local ice cream shop is the place that has tons. And they actually are suppliers for research labs and, and all kinds of folks. So. Um, and they were amazing. The first time that I went to get dry ice for them, they also make really good donuts. So I got uh, a dozen donuts to bring to the ner- infusion nurses. <laughs> That's awesome. So they sent that. They sent the cold caps, which basically are these um, specialized gel caps with lots of different Velcros that you have to learn how to fit on your head and a strap that goes around and instructions on how to uh, get these to the correct temperature with um, pantaliners because they don't want the cold caps to touch your skin, a special wide tooth comb so that you can uh, be very gentle when you're moving your hair around. Um, They sent a thermometer to make sure that they're at exactly the right temperature, which for my treatment was negative 33 degrees Celsius, a lot colder than I expected, very cold. Um, Instructions on how to pack the cooler, which they had also emailed me, uh, which required layers of dry ice. So we had to get 50 pounds of dry ice for every treatment. So that was another cost that I didn't really anticipate. And, you know, after my uh, mastectomy, I wasn't supposed to lift more than five or 10 pounds. So I was really glad that my husband, you know, was able to wheel around the cooler and get the dry ice. Um, And so, and then gloves for my husband, because he had to handle the dry ice and that's really cold. 
so there were a whole bunch of supplies and uh, it was a big learning curve. Like I wasn't really sure how any of this was going to work or how it would feel to have a cap that was negative 33 degrees Celsius on my, on my head. Did they send, like, how did, how did they fit you? Was it multiple, it was a multiple of the same size cap or was it different sizes for you to figure out? So it's one size fits all. And then they have a strap that tightens the cap with instructions about hair thickness. And so there were a few different colored straps and based on your, your hair thickness, um, you could, you know, use a different one to kind of tighten it and and have it secured against your scalp. And they're one of the best things I thought about, um, the customer service was that I had so many questions. And so I could call and there was a representative who was there to help me, who talked to me through all of the questions. I had questions about hair care, questions about how to make sure that the cap was fitted. Um, You know, when we were actually there on the first day with all of this dry ice and these caps, they weren't getting cold enough. And we realized that the dry ice should be outside of the plastic bags and we had left it in the plastic bags in the cooler. And so my husband had to, you know, take it out to get everything cold enough. Um, we had questions about making sure that the the caps um, weren't too cold because once we got the hang of things and we layered the caps, sometimes they get so frozen that then, you know, they're not even pliable. Um, so it was a huge learning curve, especially that first day. Um, the other thing that I, I read in the instructions was that even before the infusion starts, you need to wear the cap for about one hour. And you have to change them every 20 minutes for the first two caps and then 25, at least for my treatment regimen. So it wasn't like I could just get a cap cold and wear it all day. Uh, For about nine hours, every 25 minutes, I was having a new frozen cap put on my head. And my husband, you know, was sore for days after this because he's, you know, leaning over the schooler, taking the caps out, making sure that they're at the right temperature, putting them on my head, then, you know, rearranging the caps. And so it was a pretty active day for him. Um, A good distraction because we didn't have time to, you know, sit and read a book or take a nap. Mm -hmm. We were just busy, you know, managing the system. No, nine. So the TC doesn't take that long. So how much of it uh, was actually wearing the caps while you were getting the chemo? And then how much was a pre and post chemo time? Yep. So it was 50 minutes pre, which I rounded up to an hour. They said that it was okay to be over, not to be under. And then during the entire infusion, which depending on how quickly they do the infusion, for me, it was about a three hour time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then for four and a half hours afterward. And so when I round up, it was about nine hours and they, um, you know, they send you home and you also have to drive. And so I had to, you know, sometimes delay a little bit, even after my infusion was done and I got my new last, put on the one final cap. And then we would run out the door to the car and drive home. Thankfully I live close to the hospital. And so the drive home was approximately 20 minutes. Then we'd have to run into the house and change out the cap again. So that's, I mean, that is really time, you know, and not just time intensive, but labor intensive and, you know, I yes. think stressful in certain situations. Was it cold? I mean, what was the sensation for you <laughs> while you're doing it? So cold. So here's the thing. It's kind of like brain freeze at an extreme level where it's so surprising. And what everyone thinks is that you're going to want warm blankets Um, And I think many people do, you know, just because it's such a cold experience. What I found was that my head got so cold that the rest of my body felt like it was burning up. And so I would always wear layers to infusion. And then I'd be sitting there in a tank top, you know, taking off layers because it was like my body was trying to compensate. Um, After about 10 minutes, 
I think that it turned from very, very cold to mostly numb. And each cap, I would feel that coldness, but it was for a shorter duration, maybe, you know, a minute. And it was not too bad. But it, it kind of makes you feel a little bit claustrophobic and a little, a little bit panicked. At least that's how I felt at first. And then, you know, as the day went on and as I got uh, my infusion, um, sometimes I would be home and I would just be a little bit sleepy, but I couldn't rest because we had hours and hours more of this. And so usually I would just kind of prop my legs up and sit in a comfortable chair. Um, and my husband and I would continue to time, you know, we had a timer next to us and we would uh, just continue to time these. I also brought a journal so that I could mark down, you know, how many we had done just to keep track. Um, and the timing was really tricky because, you know, you're trying to do this every 25 minutes, but it takes about a minute to take off the cap and then put the other one on. And so then we were always unsure if our timing was good enough. Uh, so that even that was stressful, but we got used to it and we got into a system where we sort of figured it out. Now, two questions. One, I know that sometimes these companies do have a capper, right? Someone's yes. either employed or volunteers their time to do the capping. So was that offered to you? Did you decide to go with your husband? How did you make that decision? Yes, I um, had read online. There are a couple of Facebook groups actually about cold capping that provide a ton of information. And when I um, got the information from Penguin, they referred me to one of them. And so I'd read about professional cold cappers. My husband has a background in automotive design. He's a very engineer by nature. And so I knew that he would be an excellent cold capper as long as he read the instructions and they made sense to him, which he did. The professional cappers are amazing for people who have a partner who works or um, just don't have, you know, the child's care. We had his parents uh, come during every infusion. His mom watched our kids, which was so helpful so that, you know, I could have him come with me and do the cold capping. Uh, but the professional capper, I think a lot of people have said that it's a great experience. Uh, it's just an extra financial burden for some people. Well, that's an important point because I was going to ask when you came home, well, you know, who was taking care of your kids if you guys are, um, so I think, but now do you, and you may not know the answer to this, do you know if you have a cap or if they come to your house with you, or do you have to stay in the infusion center? Well, that's a great question. I actually don't know. I think, uh, I think a lot of people stayed longer from what I've read, but I'm not sure how long you can stay because I know, for example, my very first infusion was in the evening. And so we kind of shut the place down. And so I remember we were switching out cold caps till after midnight that night. Well, part of it, I think it's important to, if you are cold capping, I always tell people get the earliest time that you can, yes. you know, so that way you're not there, you know, capping till midnight. Um, but you know, the other part of it also, I think for some people, it is a lot of work, right. And getting Absolutely. like all of this. And I think the cappers, um, you know, can be helpful in that, but the important point to me with COVID, a lot of cancer centers only allow you to have one visitor. And yes. so if you've got your capper, you may not be able to bring someone. So it's always important for people listening, if you're thinking about doing this, to ask what are the rules and what are the policies about having that person there? Exactly. I asked the nursing staff at my infusion center and they put a flag in my chart saying that I could have a visitor for the cold capping. And at that time, there were no visitors allowed. And so it was really helpful to have coordinated that with them in advance. Um, I had a friend who, the friend actually who told me about cold capping, who did it herself, which I don't know how she managed, 
but it was in the very beginning of the pandemic. And so there were no visitors allowed. And she said that it was um, really difficult. She had a port. I did not have a port. So she had both of her hands free. Um, and so she really did an amazing job. I mean, I, I don't think I could have cold capped and also, you know, uh, done everything else, the timing and, and, you know, sort of charting of, uh, our, our schedule for the day. And so you've done, okay. So you did it for four times. Yes. Were there any hiccups? Yeah. No. Oh yeah. So I've got, no one can see me, but I have long, uh, lots of curly hair. It's kind of thin, but I just have tons of curly hair. And what we realized is that um, sometimes the cold caps would get frosty and sometimes my hair would stick to it. And then my husband was so worried as he was taking it off and there's Velcro, he didn't want to pull it out. I mean, that's exactly the opposite of what we're trying to do here. We're trying to save as much of my hair as possible. So that was hiccup number one. I called uh, Penguin after that and they gave me great advice. They said that you can use cheesecloth as just a thin layer over your head. And they also said that um, a very thin hairnet would be fine. So I actually ended up buying a hairnet and I, uh, I parted my hair in the middle, but with not a very clear part because I didn't want to have um, any areas where there was scalp showing. So I sort of did a messy part and had my hair in loose pigtails and then put this hairnet over and then my hair stopped getting stuck in the cold cap, which was mm. a big benefit. No, so let me just kind of the hairnets going on over the pigtails also, right? So the yes. whole, like all of your hair and then the cap is covering all, of, there's no hair sticking all of it. out, everything's in it. Yes. And then I also had a panty liner that I put some moleskin on top of just to make extra warmth. I had that on my forehead and then I had a half of one over each ear because the ears get covered. And so it was really between that barrier and then the cold cap uh, strap going over my ears. It was hard to hear. So the infusion nurse would come in to check on me and then everyone's wearing a mask. And so I couldn't read lips and I wasn't quite sure. And so I would just sort of yell out, I'm sorry, I can't hear you too well. <laughs> Uh, and so, so did it work? I mean, what, what were the results? So it did. The scariest time was about 20, 21 days after my first treatment, I noticed that I lost, um, quite a bit of hair above each ear. And that scared me because I didn't know if that meant that this was the beginning of shedding and maybe cold capping wasn't working, but everyone said, you know, I reached out to my friend who told me about it. Everyone said, be patient stick with it, trust the process. So I just went with it. And that was the biggest time that I lost hair. I stopped chemo 10 weeks ago and my hair still sheds more than it usually does, but I have probably 75% of my hair. And because I started with a lot, um, I feel like nobody really knows. And the parts that, um, that did shed quite a bit where I had um, some skin showing were just above each ear and they're already growing back. And so I feel like at this point, nobody can tell. No, I, mean, I just I'm, have to go ahead. No, I'm looking, I mean, you have full head of hair. Like you would never, even the parts that you're showing me are, you really look completely not like you've lost anything there. Well, and someone teased me, you know, all the kids are shaving right above their ears. So they're like, even if anyone does notice, they'll just think you're really cool. Very tough. <laughs> yeah, I, got, I got the style going on. Now, right. you, you have really thick hair. Um, yes. So I think that definitely helps, right? Because even if you're shedding, you're still kind of maintaining a full head of hair. Yes, absolutely. And there are rules too about how to maintain the hair so that it doesn't shed more. So, I mean, some of the rules surprise me. There are rules like you cannot wash your hair um, 
for a few days before, and it has to be perfectly dry. You can do cold rinses, but when, at least for my system, my hair had to be perfectly dry before I cold capped. I know that there are other systems. Um, I believe the Paxman were having damp hair is preferred. And so everyone has to read their own instructions. They told me uh, the cold cap in instructions included, be very careful about the hair products that you use. So they can't have sulfates, um, they have to be as clean as possible. Uh, and so I, I read all of the ingredients on my shampoo and conditioner. Um, products can't be close to the scalp. And so I had to be, you know, very gentle with um, how I wash my hair. It can only be washed in cold water. And so I had to, and not under a very heavy uh, stream of water. So I had to be very careful about just changing how I took a shower. You know, no longer could I just take a great hot shower. I had to um, wash my hair separately, really carefully. Um, comb it carefully, use a lot of detangler, not too much conditioner. And then they also recommended that I switch to a non-aluminum deodorant, which I did not know was a recommendation because apparently uh, they said that that would be another step to prevent hair loss because there's some thought that aluminum deodorant could contribute to more hair loss than needed. And they said to do that for six months. And they also recommended not to color my hair for six months after I finished chemo. Um, they said that I could get a trim about a month afterward, but I just decided that I would be, you know, pretty uh, consistent with babying my hair. And so I'm not getting it cut or colored until the six month mark. I have long hair and I feel like it's better to be on the safe side. That's really, really helpful. Did you have to change any of the products that you were using, you know, or no. kind of already using some of the, the cleaner hair products. No, but I did have to be mindful about how I use them. So I had never really thought about putting things near my scalp. And I had never really thought about um, the way that I combed my hair. You know, I often just combed from the roots and pulled. <laughs> you have to comb from the bottom of your hair very methodically and gently. You have to air dry. You, I, I don't use a blow dryer because I have curly hair and it just makes my hair frizzy. Um, but really heat has to be avoided at all costs. And you cannot pull your hair back into a ponytail. And so I actually exercised throughout chemo. I was outside running. I was doing Peloton. And sometimes I would just gently hold my hair up, <laughs> demonstrating it because my neck would get hot, but I didn't want to actually pull on the hair follicles. And um, a ponytail really does create some tension. And so I sometimes did a loose side ponytail or loose pigtails, especially when I was running loose pigtails or loose braids um, were helpful. That but I, was, I've never thought about that. That is because we do, we tell people don't pull on the hair and a ponytail obviously is essentially pulling on the hair. Exactly. And headbands, you know, I was so used to throwing on a headband and um, anything that included heat, I had to be careful with. Or when I went into the sun, I didn't want to wear a hat because I didn't want my, my hair to get hot. And I did chemo throughout the summer. So I spent a lot of time just, you know, thinking about the risks and the benefits of certain things. So if it was a beautiful day and I wanted to go for a run, I just picked a path that was shaded. And if my kids were outside playing, we have a big tree in our backyard and I would just set up our hammock under the tree and, you know, put on sunscreen and hang out with them. And so I thought, you know, I'm not going to always have a totally cool scalp, but I can do things that keep me out of the sun um, and, you know, keep my hair relatively cool. That's really, really helpful advice. You're going to be like the Peloton instructors who, you know, ride with their hair down. You're always like, how do you do that? <laughs> I did do that. Yeah. And I had the big fan blowing on me and I would try to, you know, not let my head get too hot. <laughs> you could pretty much be a Peloton instructor now. 
<laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and so before we wrap up, you know, thinking back to doing the last 12, you know, doing more than the last 12 weeks, but thinking back to the chemo and, and since then, were you happy with your decision to cold cap? Absolutely. I would definitely do it again. I think that going into it, like I said, I didn't know what to expect. I had friends where it worked very well for them. I had friends where it did not work and they ended up shaving their hair. And even when I asked them how they felt about that, they said, I'm glad I gave it a shot because it's, it's worth trying to find out given that I kept so much of my hair. I feel very grateful that it worked so well for me. I do feel like my hair is a part of my identity. It's how people at work recognize me. It's how my kids recognize me. Um, it's something that's unique to me. And so even though it did cost money and take a lot of planning and work, I'm also really grateful to my husband that he was willing to do that for me and that we spent that time together, that I wasn't sitting in an infusion by myself. It was really nice to have his company and his support in that way. Um, I look forward to getting my hair highlighted and cut and I scheduled it already, even though it's still four months away, but I scheduled that for the week of my birthday. And I just think that that will be a really cool milestone where, you know, as much as I've lost this year, I've also rebuilt. I had plastic surgery with reconstruction. And so I feel like my body is being rebuilt. I did cold capping and I feel like, you know, even though I lost some hair, my hair is starting to grow back. I actually lost most of my eyelashes and eyebrows. I figured out how to use makeup to disguise that those are growing back. And so, you know, I think that it was a way in which I maintained some of my hope that I was still going to be me. And mm -hmm. I'm really glad I would definitely do it again. I would definitely recommend it. I saw a few other women who are about my age who are also cold capping and our husbands would, you know, be lugging these big coolers around and like <laughs> high-fiving each other in the hallways of infusion. And so it just felt like we had this solidarity, you know, the sisterhood, even though it was the club no one wants to join. I, I was really happy to see other women who were also able to keep their hair. And, you know, I will say this, we were in the elevator going to infusion one day and we saw this um, woman waiting with us uh, who had lost her hair or shaved her hair. And my husband said to me, you know, I think that she looks really wonderful. And I think that's another choice that's very brave. And I agree with him. You know, I thought that she looked amazing and I respect everyone's choice, whether it's to try to keep their hair, whether it's to shave their head and just, you know, sort of embrace it. Um, I, I did think about both of those. I'm glad I did what I did. And I also think that if I'd lost my hair, you know, I, I would have done my best to rock that too. Oh, I think hair, I mean, it's so personal. And with the diagnosis that we're pretty much everything is taken out of your control. And yes. if you know that this is happening, the ability to have some control or some say over a very hard decision is really important, however you decide to proceed. Yeah, I, you, that's exactly right. Is there anything else that you want to share before we wrap up? I would just say that if you do decide to cold cap, be very patient and find other people who have done it, whether it be through an online forum or someone you know, and just ask questions and don't give up because I definitely had times where I was really concerned and didn't know if I should continue or not. And those people were cheerleaders for me who reassured me that, you know, even though I was seeing a bunch of shedding and hair in my hands, that I shouldn't give up and I should just keep moving forward with it. And I'm so glad I did because uh, it did end up working, even though there were times when I, I got a little bit panicked. So definitely, if you want to give it a shot, be patient, trust the process, read the instructions, follow all of them. 
Um, you know, switching to the deodorant actually was probably one of the hardest things, but my neighbor told me, Hey, this is a natural deodorant I like. So I just constantly ask people questions and, and that was really great. I had a lot of good support and I really appreciate that. I'm grateful that my husband did this and that, that I had the option to do it. Thank you so much. If listeners want to connect with you or find you online, how can they do that? I actually have an Instagram page that's all about cooking. I don't really talk about my cancer journey there, but I'd be more than happy to answer questions. It's at healthy.veggie.meals and they can reach out there. Um, I think that, you know, if there's any cold capping questions, I probably goofed up in a bazillion ways. So I'd be happy to tell you what worked for me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation. I really wanted to have some of these conversations on the podcast to really break down what it means to lose your hair, to get a wig, to go bald, to shave your head, and and whether or not to cold cap. This is a very personal and individualized decision And everyone has to do what is right for them. But I do hope that this conversation really shed some light as to what the process is really like. If you want to connect with Heather further, I know that she is happy to speak with anyone with questions. And you can find her on Instagram at healthy.veggie.meals for some wonderful wellness content, healthy food options, and some of her favorite Peloton rides. As always, you can find me at Dr. Toplinski on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Thank you all for listening. And as always, if you are enjoying the podcast, please share it with someone who may benefit. And if you have a moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, that is very, very helpful for me and allows me to grow the show and to bring it to new listeners. Have a wonderful week, and I will see all of you soon.